even you who wrote the book, maybe going into it, you weren't, uh, you didn't consider yourself an expert, but you did it anyways. And through that process, you learned and at the end, you had an outcome, right? And I think that's a lesson everyone can take away. Like you, you can never be prepared enough or you'll never feel prepared enough. And so you just have to take action. Welcome to Teach Me Real Estate Investing, a show where I share my personal journey and the challenges I face as an investor. I invite industry experts to share their wisdom and advice to help me overcome these adversities with the hope that it'll help you on your own personal journey. I'm your host, Sogad Ghimire, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, hi everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode. Today, I have the opportunity to speak with Ziana McIntyre, and we're going to be talking about medium-term rentals. Ziana, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. You said my name right, so you get lots <laughs> of bonus points right there off the bat. I've been listening to, I guess, a lot of your podcast episodes, so I, I guess I, it, you know, it's kind of drilled into my mind. So uh, before we start talking about medium-term rentals, let's talk a little bit about you. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into real estate investing, and where you are in your real estate investing journey today? Yeah, well, it's definitely a journey. <laughs> I think that's important for people to know is that I feel like my strategy, especially in the last couple of years, has changed a lot because mm -hmm. the real estate industry has changed a lot. So it's right. important to be flexible and be able to pivot and be creative. So, you know, if you're not happy with where you are right now, mm -hmm. just know that it's a journey and we're in it for the long haul as investors. So it can change. Um, I got into real estate investing totally by accident. Um, some of you might know that my original story is that I heard about it from a friend in 2011 who got laid off. Okay. And he was trying to figure out what he was gonna do with this really expensive apartment he had in New York City. And that was just around the time when he heard about Airbnb. And so he was telling me like, I'm gonna go travel and I heard about this thing and I'm gonna rent out my apartment, it should be fine. And one month of travel turned into an entire year at the end of the year, he told me that he made $50,000 off an apartment that he didn't own. So that really got my wheels turning and it got me to try to do it myself. So I thought it was just a little side hustle, no big deal, and that turned into my whole life. <laughs> so from there, it's just kind of grown. Yeah, that, yeah. I, guess, I guess that happens. <laughs> yeah, so, so sure. for folks that don't know you, right, you... Mm -hmm. uh, are the co-host of the Investify podcast, and you recently wrote a book for Bigger Pockets called 30 Day Stay, A Real Estate Investor's yeah. Guide to Mastering the Medium-Term Rental. Uh, so before we get into all that, you saw you had a friend who bought a short, uh, had an apartment, did Airbnb, was successful. Uh, how then did you end up getting into your first deal? Can we talk about that? And maybe some of the challenges that went along yeah. with that very first deal. Yeah, so I think first deal is kind of um, a little bit different in this scenario. So my first deal was really just the home I lived in, okay. right? So that's the cool thing about Airbnb is that you can just rent even your own bedroom. You could rent, you know, a spare room and all of that. So I was lucky enough that my roommate was moving out and I just had a rental. I didn't own it. And I decided that I would sublet on Airbnb, which we call arbitrage now. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't a word for it then. Right. And so I did that for a while, but if we're talking about the first deal that I owned, um, it was two years later. 
Okay. So the way that I got into buying a property is what I like to call Airbnb training wheels, right? It's like <laughs> real estate training wheels using Airbnb. And what was so cool is that I was arbitraging. So I was renting an apartment that was five minutes away from the apartment that I was going to buy. And that's it was a very similar apartment. It was a one bedroom, um, five minutes away. And what I had been renting mine for that I was re-renting out was like $1,100. That's what it cost me. But then um, what I was making off of it was between $1,700 and $4,000 a month. Wow. So I already knew the numbers really well. I'd had the place over a year. Mm-hmm. And so then when I went to buy a property, that property was five minutes away. It was a one bedroom, same, same. And my mortgage was only going to be nine fifty. And so I was like, wow, well, I was paying 1100 before. This right. is a no-brainer, right? I know exactly what it will make and everything. So that worked out really well for me. Yeah. Uh, fast forward to today, what, what does your portfolio look like? Yeah, so now I have 11 units. We just sold one, mm-hmm. um, but I'm under contract for another, so I very quickly put the pawns back in place. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but I'm invested in four states, soon to be five, and I am kind of changing my strategy. I think one thing that's so awesome about writing a book about medium-term rentals is that I got to really deep dive in it, and I right. thought, well, I don't know that I ever thought that I knew it all. Mm-hmm. But I learned a lot since the book even came out. It's such a cool new kind of concept. So there's a lot lot of yeah. upside and I'm really excited to dig in. Yeah, I think there's a lesson there for all our all our audience. I think a lot of people get stuck in learning, 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 analysis, paralysis, and yeah. no one really takes action. And I think what you said there was key, right? Like even us, like even you who wrote the book, maybe going into it, you weren't, uh, you didn't consider yourself an expert, but you did it anyways. And through that process, you learned. And at the end, you had an outcome, right? And I think that's a lesson everyone can take yeah. away. Like, you you can never be prepared enough or you'll never feel prepared enough. And so you just have to take action. Um, yeah. Your your All your yeah. properties that you have today, are they all on Airbnb? Or do you, are they long-term rentals, medium-term rentals? Talk to us a little bit about the strategy that you're using. Yeah, so I've diversified twofold. I'm diversified Mm -hmm. by area. So if there's a big tornado that comes through St. Louis, it's not going to knock all my properties out. Mm -hmm. I'm also diversified by, um, I I was going to call it asset class, but actually it's more like rental strategy, right? So I have some long-term units, I have some medium-term, and I have some short-term. And I'm really focused in on the medium-term. That's what I'm feeling the most excited about going forward. But it is nice to have a variety because their seasonality and my long terms are not affected by that so it's nice to have certain stabilities in my portfolio for when things change yeah uh i think in in my opinion i think you've become quite successful right uh what would you say was the one key factor uh that helped you become successful so newer investors who are looking to get into it uh what should they have in mind as they're starting their own real estate journey Yeah, for me, I think it's continuing to keep a beginner's mind. Mm -hmm. And luckily, I think after just being in this industry for so long, I can sort of see things coming maybe a little bit easier than other people. And so I can pivot a little bit faster than they. But I don't feel very stuck in saying, 
I already know it all. Right. I don't need to change. I'm always like, okay, what's this other person saying? Maybe there's something to that, mm-hmm. you know? So um, it's just keeping your eyes open and talking to a lot of people on the ground and, and always learning, being a sponge. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your book, right? You recently released a book with right. Bug Your Pockets, 30 Day Stay. Um, can you tell us a little bit of the backstory? Like, how did you end up writing the book, essentially? Like, how come you were the one? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, way back in 2017, I was first on the Bigger Pockets podcast. I've been on there three times, I think, now, just their real estate one. They've got a bunch of podcasts now. Right. But um, back then, they were just starting to release books, and they had asked me to do a short-term rental book, seeing if I had any interest. And mm-hmm. I kind of fumbled that opportunity. I, I didn't take it as seriously as I should have, and then it didn't happen and two years later avery carl came out with their short-term rental book and i think when i saw that it was really hard i was like oh man i'm at a place in my life where i'm not as excited about short-term rentals but i could have wrote that book and it could have changed my life right and i messed it up and so as i'm like having this experience and and i think it was probably 2020 that her book fully came out but Mm -hmm. i knew about it early um I was thinking about what is it that I could write? What, you know, what am I excited about now? And as 2020 evolved, that's where I really found the medium terminal strategy. It was born out of COVID for me, out of a necessity to pivot when people were not traveling for vacation anymore. Right. right? Like I had to do something new to keep my places occupied. And when I went to Bigger Pockets with the idea, I was just like, this is really niche. Like, are they gonna be interested in this? You know, right. it was very odd. So I pitched it at the 2021 Bigger Pockets Conference and yeah, they ended up going for it. And I really think it was a leap of faith on their part because yeah. all the research they did was saying, well, this is not really a thing yet. Nobody's really talking about this. And none of us, I think, knew that the next year, 2022, would just explode with medium terminal chat so we got very lucky to be ahead of the curve on that yeah that's incredible who who do you would you say is the book geared towards who should buy this book yeah i think the book can be for a lot of different investors Mm -hmm. it can be for the long-term investor who's saying you know i'm really just wanting to see more cash flow right it can be for the short-term investor who's saying gosh, I want more stability in my homes, especially through a recession where I'm thinking less people are traveling for vacation. Right. It will really give them that. And it could be for somebody totally brand new because we said, I wrote the book with Sarah Weaver. We said that we really wanted the book to be actionable, Mm -hmm. not just conceptual. And so we wrote it in a way that it's bite-sized pieces, but from the beginning to the end, you can go out and buy a property and just take the steps and you're gonna be good to go. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I really want to dive into the topic of medium term rentals. Before we get there, uh, could we define for the audience, like, what do we mean exactly when we say medium term rental? Um, How is it, I guess, different from the other forms? Yeah, so a medium term rental, the reason we called our book 30 day stay is that 30 days is kind of that magic number, right? Mm -hmm. So anything under 30 days is considered a short term rental. And then 30 days plus is a medium term if it's furnished. 
So um, a long-term is generally unfurnished and it's year to year. Right. So medium-term rentals end up being an average of three months. That's the most common one we see. So just kind of letting people know um, the range. Yeah. And uh, when or why might someone consider using a medium-term rental strategy as opposed to the other? I, I guess I'm trying to understand where it where it shines compared to the other strategies and maybe some of the drawbacks yeah. if we can discuss that as well yeah so against a long-term rental it shines because right now when people go out they're looking at pretty high prices still mm-hmm. and high interest rates so when you buy a property that's a long-term rental very often the rent that your tenant would pay is not even enough to cover your mortgage yeah Right. So medium term gives you a lot more cash flow and it allows people to finally have that. Right. They can buy a property and it's going to be an investment that will give them cash flow. Mm -hmm. So that's the advantage there. The advantage over short term rentals is that now more and more places are outlawing short term rentals and medium term doesn't have the same regulations. They're basically lumped in with long term rentals. Right. And so you just don't really have to deal with worrying about oh my gosh is next year is this city gonna say okay no more and you have to totally change what you're doing yeah so so it sounds like we kind of have best of both worlds right so uh, in comparison to long term you can generate a little bit more cash flow right because you have that shorter uh, lease sort or shorter, I guess, leasing terms. Um, and you yeah. also have a furnished apartment. So people usually pay a little bit more, but you, you aren't yeah, bound by those short term rental regulations, which I think are growing. Uh, the re- rules and regulations around that are becoming stricter and stricter in many uh, areas of the country. Um, if I was yeah, to absolutely. consider doing a medium term rental as a strategy, uh, how would I find tenants for that? Right. For, um, is it the same way you would find it for long term or, med- or short term? Or is there a different way that you would advise for people to find tenants in the, for their medium term yeah, rentals? So it's a little bit different and it kind of depends on who you want to serve as your tenants. So the very basic way and what we mostly talk about in our book is using Airbnb and similar sites. So Verbo mm-hmm. um, and then using um Furnish Finder. So Furnish Finder is a website that is primarily marketing towards medical professionals, traveling nurses. Um, but those two had been enough to really keep us completely occupied. Or yes, completely occupied. I always get like, oh, vacancy, <laughs> occupancy. Right. Um, so with that alone, that was enough. And now I'm learning that there's a whole nother deeper layer to corporate housing. And so it can be corporate contracts from construction companies, film industries, government contracts, and even um, insurance contracts. So people that um, need to be in another house while their home is getting some work on Mm -hmm. um, for whatever reason, lots more natural disasters and things happening. And those insurance contracts pay the most. Okay. And so if you just want to do Airbnb and Furnish Finder, you can be occupied. Mm-hmm. But if you want to make the most money you possibly can make, you have to do a little bit more work. So yeah. that that could be a bit more uh, websites and, and work behind it. Yeah. Uh, digging into that a little bit. So let's say I want to set up a contract like that with, you know, these insurance companies, uh, for example. Uh, how might I go about this? Like, 
how do I find these people to reach out to and what what, what do these contracts typically look like? Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so that's something I'm still digging into and learning about. And I'm really going to dedicate this year, 2023, to mm-hmm. learning more because I yeah. think this is a really um, important space with a lot of upside. So just to give an example, I have a friend in Atlanta where he has a five-bedroom home. His um, his all-in costs, like his mortgage and his monthly um, utilities, end up being around 2500 But he's got an insurance contract on that that's almost $8,000. Wow. So he's able to cash flow $5,000 or more, which is absolutely insane. Yeah. (laughs) If you can master a strategy like this, you can have less homes and you can do it really well. Yeah. Right. So that's where I'm trying to go with my portfolio. So finding those, we're using like seven or eight websites and we're really just kind of testing them out. So mm-hmm. if people want to know more, definitely have them reach out. I can send them everything I know up until the moment. <laughs> I'm a big sharer, right. but um, it is definitely a work in progress on our side. Yeah, I feel like I have to have you back in a year so that we can learn all the secrets that, <laughs> or maybe not secrets, but all these strategies that you learn over the next year. Uh, if I'm yeah. looking to implement the medium-term rental strategy, uh, would you? Are there certain types of properties or certain locations that you would advise that I look for uh, when I want to do the medium-term rental strategy? Yeah. So if you're going to do just the very basic Airbnb and Furnish Finder, mm-hmm. you can do that with one and two bedroom units. So those can be condos. They can be like a duplex, multi-unit, anything like that. But if you're really wanting to go after insurance, you want to have these bigger homes. Okay. So there's a teacher in the space that says five to eight bedrooms. I think four bedrooms could work. Even I've heard three bedrooms work in certain markets, but it wants to be a single family home and it needs to be bigger. So just kind of deciding where you want to play. And for me, at least now, because I'm really wanting to test this strategy, I'm going for the bigger homes and selling off some of my I hope you're enjoying the episode so far, and if you are, I would really appreciate it if you could give me a five-star rating on whichever platform you're listening to me on. It would help get the podcast in front of more people so that they can also get value out of it. Thank you so much. Now let's get back to the show. Little ones. Yeah. Do you know why that might be? Because uh, when I think about, you know, just general single-family homes, most of them tend to be three, four bedrooms, right? But the five to eight Mm -hmm. are like much bigger homes uh why is it that insurance companies tend to gravitate towards those types of homes rather than you know if i'm living in a three four bedroom property and it gets damaged and i need to be relocated for example uh i'd imagine that they'd give me a similar home to stay at while my property is being um rehabbed right so yeah, I, I'm curious why it is that, you know, people are, are like, we're recommend, um, noticing that they, they tend to go with the five to eight bedrooms. So five to eight bedrooms is a twofold. This particular teacher does um, short-term rentals as well. So okay. again, in that space, it's about limiting competition. So the bigger mm. the house, the less people that you have with similar size houses. When you're doing short-term rentals, you can put in two families. You can charge a lot more money because they're willing to share and pay more to be together. 
Um, so that's sort of where that's born out of. But also it's the competition in the insurance space. So one and two bedrooms, there's just so much inventory. Right. Now, as you got, start getting into the bigger homes, here's an example is that a year or two ago, we had a big fire here um, in my town of Boulder, Colorado, and about a thousand homes burnt down, which is incredible. It's a lot. And I thought, okay, well, I have these two one-bedroom apartments. Like people will be knocking down my door for places to stay, but I didn't hear anything from insurance. And the reason is these people had homes, and they need to be put into homes, right? They need a big enough space for their family, and so they are going to put you in like-kind homes. But mm -hmm. if if they have a four-bedroom home, if they have a five-bedroom home they want to be in a nicer space, they have a little bit of choice. So they give them um, a certain amount of stipend, but then they get to go choose where they want to be. So for that example in Atlanta that my friends got um, the insurance contract, it's only two people living in that five bedroom house. Wow. So it's not like it's, you know, packed in or anything like that. Right. So, so I guess that covers the property types, right? We want larger, uh, larger number of rooms in the house, bigger houses. Uh, are there locations that people should consider also? Uh, like one thing I know is um, the medical industry uh, is one of the biggest, uh, I guess, um, has the largest number of tenants, I guess, that would be looking for furnished homes, right? So when I go to furnished finders, it's mostly like nurses, traveling nurses that are looking for uh, housing. Um, so in my mind, it's like maybe it needs to be close to a hospital. But I'd like to hear your thoughts on, you know, if I'm evaluating a property and I want to use the medium-term rental strategy, like what kind of locations should I be looking out for? Yeah, so if your property is going to be one to two bedrooms, then I would say try to be within five miles of two hospitals. Okay. And the reason being is that there's certain markets that have hospital clusters. Denver has some of this. Um, we see it in Cleveland, St. Louis. There are places where you might have you know four or five hospitals kind of right in one area. Mm -hmm. And that brings in an incredible amount of traveling professionals. So that is a really safe play if you're doing those smaller places. Bigger than that, if you're going for insurance, it doesn't necessarily matter. I see them being more popular in the suburbs, but being adjacent to a city is helpful because of the density, right? right. So there's more opportunity for people who are needing a home. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of just depends. Sometimes people gravitate around uh, universities because they do bring in a lot of teachers and students and families. So there, there's kind of a lot of different tenants. So it just depends on who do you want to serve. Yeah. Do you look for, uh, I guess, a good deal first and then figure out your medium-term rental strategy? Or do you would you recommend people start talking to all these insurance companies or maybe hospitals and try to work out contracts first and then look for a property? Like, I don't know how it works, uh, but yeah. I, I'm wondering, like, maybe your recommendation on the sequence of events on how, how someone should try to implement this. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're new, you probably want to have a house first Yeah. before. Um, I have heard of people that are really experienced who said, 
I got a contract and then I went and found a house. Okay. I, you know, rented a house. I arbitraged a house. I did whatever I had to do. Maybe I just went and bought a house because mm -hmm. now I have this contract for six months. Right. So I think if you already feel really comfortable in real estate and know how to do it all, mm -hmm. you could probably get away with something like that. But if you're brand new, it's a lot of pressure because yeah. now you think you have this deal and then, you know, what if something changes on the insurance side and you went and bought a house and now you've got nothing? I, I think you probably just need to make sure your house and the numbers work well before you're going out and trying to find tenants. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, this show is called Teach Me Real Estate Investing because selfishly I want mm -hmm. to ask you questions about some of the challenges that I'm going through personally. Um, yeah. So, so... Currently, I have this property in Seattle where I'm house hacking, essentially. It's a triplex. I'm living in one of the units. The other two are being uh, rented on Airbnb. Um, I noticed that in the winter months especially, it's my first year, so I haven't gone through a full year yet, but when I first yeah. listed it at the end of summer, I, I thought it was doing really well. And now in the winter months, it's mm -hmm. slowing down quite a bit. Um, so I have considered the medium term uh, rental strategy as well. Uh, but so someone had reached out to me yesterday actually on Airbnb saying, hey, I'd like to rent out your place for four months, but they wanted a slightly lower rate and as you know, Airbnb has a bunch of fees associated with it, right? They take like, I think it's like maybe 10, 15% from the guest and then another three and a half percent from the host. And so the difference yeah. between what I'm earning and what the guest is paying is quite significant. So, you know, them wanting a lower fee, I wasn't really able to provide that to them uh, because the amount of money that I, I would be getting in my pocket, well, it wasn't worth it, right? Um, yeah. Have you ever, or I guess like what would be your recommendation like I guess one thing I've thought I considered is maybe taking them off the Airbnb platform uh, and maybe just maybe doing a lease or something like that with that um, other other the guest essentially uh, do you have is this something you've done in the past like do you have guidance around maybe going off the platform or maybe what that would look like yeah, so I would recommend that you go back to them immediately <laughs> and try to get them to just book a month. Okay. And you can phrase it like, you know, make sure you like the property and we'll extend after that and that you yeah. like the area and everything. But once you have their details of them booking, then you can call them and say, you know, if you like it, let's extend off the platform. So I never want to steal um, money from Airbnb. Like I would never just book fully off the platform without right. them, like cutting mm -hmm. them out. Yeah. I, I think that's not cool. But if you're going to do something really long term, I can see the value in eventually leaving the platform. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I would probably do. And I think there is, there is seasonality. Mm -hmm. You're going to feel that. So one of the hybrid models that we talk about is really utilizing the MTR strategy when you're um, in your slow months. So yeah. for you in Seattle, I imagine it started slowing down like right at the end of October. Yeah. And that I would have been planning that ahead that I would have already been looking for a medium term tenant probably in October or mid October and getting them set up for November 1st and then trying to have three to three to four months or something like that 
to ride you out until spring where it starts picking up again. Yeah. So I, I think that's a great move if you can yeah. get back to that tenant. So hopefully okay. they're not Okay, yeah, I'll reach out to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll be like, literally, pause this recording, <laughs> go call them up because... Yeah, there's definitely been some changes since right. the recession has started. Mm -hmm. And um, I just am seeing a little more vacancy around. I'm hearing about yeah. it. And so if you can get a great tenant in for four months, do it. Yeah, I guess the opposite question, I guess slightly opposite. Mm -hmm. I've also had people reach out to me on Furnish Finder, but in the summer months. And uh, in the yeah. summer months, those are my... You know, those are the months that I'm counting on for Airbnb. So what would you recommend yeah. in that situation? Should I just jack up my price and say, hey, like my property would earn me somewhere close to this? Like the only reason I would rent it to a medium term rental uh, tenant is if I'm able to earn, you know, at least close. Yeah. To that. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a great way to do it. I mean, yeah. what I have done is that if I already have a tenant in place and they're mm -hmm. extending, I'm not going to kick them out because it's June. And, you know, you could. And I think some people do. But I've made enough money over the years that I understand the value of just having a tenant that is, you know, paying on time right. and, and doing, like, taking good care of the property. So mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. Right. But I'm not looking for tenants on Furnish Finder during those really high months. I'm hoping that they're going to come through Airbnb and even if it's just somebody who books one month, yeah. they'll pay, you know, $4,000 instead of 2500. I'm really happy with that. Right. So, you could put it on Furnish Finder and then just list your price differently, like change your pricing that is there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But okay. you may not find as many people through Furnish Finder cuz they are generally looking for a deal there. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, yeah, it's just, um, I guess, I don't know if Furnish Finder lets me dictate my pricing per month, but essentially the, it was priced somewhat lower just because it's the winter months, um, and but then they're reaching yeah. out to me for the summer, and yeah, those, those, I guess, are not making as much sense to me. Uh, the qu other question yeah. I have is around insurance, right? So if I put a long-term mm -hmm. tenant in here, uh, I would get, uh, well, I have my homeowner's insurance, but the tenant would get renter's insurance. If I have a short-term rent, uh, like uh, guest here, um, usually Airbnb has like the air cover. I've never used it. I don't know how good it is, but I understand there's some level of protection that you get if the guest damages things inside the house. Um, but yeah. what happens in a medium-term rental situation? Let's say I find someone... Through Furnished Finder, I decide to have them here for three months. Uh, is it similar to the long-term rental where they get renter's insurance? But yeah, I guess, um, do you have guidance around the insurance? Yeah, so I mean, basically we're working off of a deposit, a deposit, a security deposit. So we generally take $1,000. We try not to make it um, the same as one month because these people are traveling so frequently. You know, they might live in three or four different homes in a year. And so they might have a deposit somewhere else and then have to put in a deposit with you. And so I don't want to be a big strain, right. but I want it to be enough to cover us. So depending on the size of the home, it's usually around a thousand bucks, maybe it's 1500 or something. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how we do it. And then we do write up a lease and the insurance that we have um, for a medium term rental is just long term rental insurance. It's the same 
kind of landlord policy that we would have otherwise. If you do a short-term rental though, you do get specific short-term rental insurance and it is different. So keep those in mind. I don't require renter's insurance. You could do that, but I don't. Okay, so you just, just rely on hurdle. yeah, you just rely on the I guess the deposit, right? If something yeah. does go wrong, okay, that sounds good. Uh, yeah, this was really helpful. I I think you know like be such be, especially because I'm going through these challenges myself. I think um, you know I I'll probably take some of the advice that you've given me and consider doing a hybrid approach of like you know in the summer months where it's going well i'll do short-term rental in the winter months consider uh, a medium-term rental um for folks who you know are listening to this episode and are inspired and they want to get started in real estate investing do you have tips or advice for them on how they can get started Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to say that our book is a really comprehensive way to kind of Mm -hmm. help you step by step, because sometimes you just need someone around who's done it before. So if you're new to real estate investing and you're just finding it on the Internet, go find a community somewhere. It can be a community online. Even there's a lot of really good Facebook groups um, or meetup groups. You Mm -hmm. can find those and then do them in person. But you need to find people that are already where you're wanting to go and they can kind of help you along the way. Generally, real estate people are really helpful. Yeah. And they, they're like open and they'll tell you everything. Um, and that's really the best way to figure out how well something does in a certain market and everything is actually talking to people who are already doing what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have one que- one more question about medium-term rentals. When I'm underwriting a property for medium-term rental, um, or let's reverse back a little bit. If I'm doing a long-term rental, usually I can look at Zillow, see what other properties are going for. If it's a short-term yeah. rental, usually you have uh, like AirDNA or other tools like that where it'll like estimate how much revenue you can expect. Uh, for medium-term rentals, do you have recommendation on how people can estimate how much their property can go for? Yeah, so some of these prediction... Um, subscriptions like AirDNA, they're starting to roll out monthly pricing kind of um, guesstimates, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think AirDNA has it, but there's another one. Is it MarketMinder or something? If, if somebody really wants to find it, reach out to me. I'm just not thinking of it right now. Right. But generally the way that I do it is twofold. I get the AirDNA price, so using just their free rentalizer tool, and then dividing by 12 months, I kind of figure out a rough idea of like what I want to make per month. And I'm shooting for that in general, because you can make just as much as a short term rental, sometimes more with the medium term. But then I'm also going to Furnish Finder and I'm looking at comps. So you can use the map and you can search your city and you can really just zoom in and even look through people's photos and say, okay, my place is nicer than that, more updated, I have better mm-hmm. furniture or not and get an idea of what they're charging. But it's definitely not a perfect science. This is kind of still a new industry. And so the technologies haven't fully caught up to us yeah. yet. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm curious, what are the next steps for you? Um, what I guess, you know, longer term and but like, you know, for 2023, like what, what do you have uh, planned in the near future? 
So we have a medium terminal course coming out in March. So running our first like beta group is mm -hmm. going to be really exciting. So if anyone's interested in that, definitely reach out to us. Um, I'm wanting to be on a TV show. So okay. I'm, I'm just kind of putting that out, manifesting <laughs> that. I may write another book. I'm kind of in discussions about that. So maybe taking this year and learning as much as I can, being a sponge, um, and seeing that there is a whole deeper level of this medium terminal space that I think people need to know about. So right. really trying to figure all that out so that I could share it again. But hard to know yet. Uh, yeah. It's still early days. Yeah, that's exciting. So what is this TV show going to be about that you want to be on? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm open. If uh -huh. somebody had an idea that's better than what I've got, that's fine. But we were kind of thinking it could be like just one of those shows where people go and look at three homes and then they pick one and buy it. Mm -hmm. But then we take it a step further and we furnish it for them to make it a medium term rental. So okay. it would be like a show with investors and teaching people how to invest in real estate. And then I have a, a designer that I work with on all my properties. And so it would be us together. And we have a really good dynamic that would be very funny. I think. Yeah. I can't wait to watch <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, well, I'll let you know. Yeah. So if people want to connect with you, follow you on social media, where can they find you? Yeah, so I'm the most active on Instagram. Okay. That's Ziana McIntyre, just my name. And I have a website, ZianaMcIntyre.com. So that has all the info for the MTR course. Um, but I've also got YouTube. I mean, there's lots of ways. So reach out and we'll we'll help you get to the right place. Yeah, sounds good. And if folks want to connect with me, they can find me on Instagram or YouTube at I so got this. Uh, I learned a lot today. It was really great talking mm -hmm. to you. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, taking the time to uh, spend with us today. Absolutely. All right, that is the end of today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I would really appreciate it if you could take a moment to give me a five-star rating on whichever platform you're listening to me on. It would really help my mission of teaching more people about real estate investing. Thank you, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.